Well, I feel I need to start this morning by apologizing to you. When I, I, I drove to work, there was water. It had rained. And it's my fault. I washed the car yesterday. I gambled. The McKinney's are coming back this week, and we're, we're going to be moving from their place. And we're trying to get things ready, and they, they left both cars. We've driven both cars. We're not really tidy. And uh, so I thought, I better wash the cars before they come back. Now, do I do it this weekend, or I do it just before they arrive? And I thought, well, that's gambling. It, it may not work. So I, I did it yesterday. <laughs> Joy is here. Where did Joy go? She was here. She knew I was preaching. She sneaked out. <laughs> well, I was going to ask her if she got any dirt on the car she drove. I got some on the car I drove. But I feel so bad about it. I'm telling you all of this so that when the McKinney's come, you can say, I know that the pastor meant well. <laughs> he wanted your car to be clean. All right. Well, this is the end of the series. The subject today is self-control. So let's look at the, at the scripture that has been governing this whole series, Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step. With the Spirit. I received my first lesson in today's sermon in the fourth grade. I just made the most important decision of my life. In those days, it was the custom in our church for the minister to offer a gospel invitation at the end of every sermon. And on Easter Sunday morning, I, I stepped forward and I walked down the aisle toward him. Small church, but the aisle was 150 feet long, it seemed. I was scared. I was nervous. But he took my hand, and I was able to confess my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and, and I was baptized that day. It was a wonderful experience. Oh, my wife did come. There she is. I don't want to embarrass you, honey, but I talked about you when you were, when you were away. I, did you get the car dirty on the way to the... Okay, good for you. All right. All is well. <laughs> okay. So, it was, a wonder, it was really a wonderful day. And, uh, and the baptism was wonderful. Adolf Hoven, our next door neighbor, the father of my closest friend, helped me get ready to be baptized. And Mr. Webb, our pastor, took time, talked with me, calmed me down. Dipped me in the water, brought me back up. I was, I was on a spiritual high. It was, it was wonderful. But just a couple of weeks after that, I was walking to school on a weekday morning with a gang of kids that I always walked to school with. And uh, I must have been doing something obnoxious because I had a girlfriend in that group. Danielle was her name, and she brought me up short. She said, Roy, I thought you were just baptized. And I allowed us how I was. She said, well, you sure aren't acting like it. Now, what did she know? She didn't even go to church. <laughs> but 
But she was right. I wasn't acting like it. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. I wasn't. You see, there's a difference between satisfying our passions and our desires, doing what comes naturally, what is called in the Scriptures living in the flesh. There's a difference between that and living in the Spirit. And the difference should be obvious. Let's think about the difference. It's kind of a review of where we've been. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's not hate, not even indifference, certainly not apathy. It's joy. Not grumpiness, not complaining, not being in a perpetual bad mood. Peace. At peace. Not worried, not causing worries, not stirring up trouble or or fueling it. So, one is patient or forbearing. Not impatient, not short-tempered. Kind. Never cruel or insensitive or impolite. Good. Just simply not bad. Faithful. Not untrustworthy. Not unreliable. Gentle. Not rough. Not thoughtless. Not bullying. And now, finally, self-controlled, simply not out of control. Now, I don't know what I was doing wrong walking to school that morning, but I can tell you this. Not only did Danielle know that I was doing something wrong, I knew it also. Otherwise, I wouldn't be remembering it when I'm sitting down to write a sermon on self-control. And I'm remembering it 70 years later. This whole series, really, has had this to say. So live that the difference between who you were and who you are is obvious. It's this either-or-ness of the passage that leaves us no wiggle room at all. We're either attempting to, to bear spiritual fruit in our lives, or we are simply captive of our flesh, that is, the animal in us. Now, we know... We know that, but we still can't help being surprised, at least I'm surprised, that the last item in this list is self-control. Because the whole series has been about the fruit of the Spirit, that is, the control of the Spirit in our lives. But this one says self-control. It sounds as if it's all up to us, as in control yourself, man. But this is called the fruit of the Spirit, so it must have a double meaning here. Be controlled by the Spirit, be controlled by yourself. It's not just willpower that's called for, but but a decision, that's our part, and empowerment, that's the Spirit's part, to help us to do what we ought to do. As if to say, I I want to grow more loving, I want to grow more joyful, I want to grow more peaceful, etc., etc., but I also know I need the help of God to become who I want to become, who I need to become. From time to time, almost all churches get the phone calls, a caller calling in, in rather demanding voice usually, is yours a spirit-filled church? Or is it a full gospel church? Now that's usually code, and the, the caller is really asking, do you speak in tongues in your church? 
Is there interpretation of tongues in your church? Do you dance in the spirit? Others seem to imply, actually often they seem to imply, do your people lose control of themselves when they're worshiping? Are they slain in the spirit? Now to be honest with you, such callers are not very much interested in this passage of scripture we're looking at. And, and to others, being spirit-led really means being passive. Just, just waiting for the spirit to open the doors, to take over. Now, sometimes that's good counsel. Sometimes that's really what's needed. But more often than not, that is not good counsel because there's nothing in this passage that suggests passivity. Just waiting for spirituality to some, somehow kind of de- descend on us. And this is really about the vigorous life. Here's 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's about the scriptures. Being able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, that is inspired, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice that language, training, equipped. No waiting for spirituality to somehow zap us, but a recognition that that we must train, must take control of our lives, equip our lives, ourselves, for every good work. There's just simply nothing passive about it. I think the best way to understand this scripture is to look at the the passage that precedes it in Galatians 5. I've, I've pretty much brushed over that until now. It's not a passage I like dealing with. But we've got to deal with it to get the full context and the full meaning here. Because the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is boldly contrasted with, our, with what are called the acts of the flesh. First, another reminder, the fruit of the Spirit does imply that we're not in this business of spiritual growth by ourselves. God's in this disciplining of ourselves. But the term acts of the flesh suggests that in them we're on our own doing our own thing, following our own impulses, calling our own shots. These all come naturally. They don't need any spiritual input. Here's the scripture. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. I, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the choice is ours. Let the flesh, that is, our, our, our natural, unbridled selves, rule, or let the Spirit of God rule in our hearts. Aldous Webb, my old preacher, the one who baptized me, I was just talking about, he, uh, he offered a pastoral prayer every Sunday morning in church. And very often in his pastoral prayer, he used the same words. He would ask God to rule and overrule in our hearts. I didn't fully understand what he was getting at. Then, I do now. He was... He was really praying on behalf of all of us. Lord, take over. I give you the right to call the shots in my life. 
I implore you to save me from my own inclinations. Don't, don't just rule, Lord. Overrule me. Because my ungoverned nature needs governing. Now, some of the acts of the flesh are, are no temptation for most of us. I can get through part of this list just fine. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. When I told some friends of mine a few years ago that I'd never been drunk. I don't think they believed me. They acted like they didn't believe me. They acted like it wasn't possible to have reached my age and stage in life and not ever having been drunk. But I haven't. And it's possible not to be drunk. My reason, very simple. I don't like being out of control. I don't like headaches. And I really don't enjoy vomiting. (laughs) And I don't like making a fool of myself. And I don't like hanging around people who are making a fool of themselves. All kinds of reasons. So I draw a pass on drunkenness. Orgies, they have no appeal to me. I'm a one-woman man. Another pass. Witchcraft, this may be the easiest one of all. Not interested in, don't believe in. Witches. And debauchery is right there with it. I'm just not interested in playing around with people who are at their worst and who are encouraging me to be at my worst. So I, I just skip through those really easily. So far I've sounded like a real prude, but I'm through bragging now because here we go. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Now, no doubt about it, the sex drive, we're built this way, is just almost overwhelming. And probably very few of us in this room can escape on this one. Jimmy Carter got into trouble when he was running for president. He uh, gave an interview which was picked up and and, uh, published by Playboy magazine. And in that interview, he confessed that he'd looked on a lot of women with lust and he had committed adultery in his heart many times. Oh boy, did that that draw the uh, headlines. Man running for president who's an adulterer. That's not what he said. Jimmy Carter's a Christian. He understood Jesus' teaching on the subject. And Jesus had said that uh, a man who looks on a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. That's what he was saying. I think most of the people who were offended were, were probably protecting, being a little hypocritical. Because the truth of it is, that's how we're built. And so the, the sexual immorality issue, that's a struggle for us. It's in the list. And now some, some harder ones even. We lump them together. Hatred. I've known what it feels like to hate. Have you? Discord. I've done more than my share of fueling the flames of dissension, stirring up passions in arguments, leading to nowhere but division. Jealousy. Let's put envy with this one. They go together. Somebody else gets the promotion you thought you had coming to you. Somebody else gets the girl you want or the guy you want. Somebody else gets the attention that that you so yearn for. Somebody else has all the toys and you're having trouble getting to the end of the month before your paycheck runs out. Somebody else's kids got the scholarship. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Jealousy, a hard one. Envy is a hard one. 
for many of us who are with Christ, we still can't help making comparisons with other people and resenting the fact they're getting more than we are. Fits of rage. That's anger out of control. Selfish ambition. Dedicated to the promotion of self over all others. Dissensions, factions, envy. I've talked enough about these. Obviously, these are in opposition to the kingdom of God. They are in such violation of God's will that they don't belong in God's kingdom. But honestly, they don't belong in ours either. So we enact laws to protect society from people who are sold out to these vices. What the Spirit wants is people against whom you don't have to pass laws. Their behavior is such that you don't have to have a law against them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Against such things there is no law. There's no need for a law. All of them rely on this last characteristic, self-control. When people are in control of themselves thanks to the Spirit at work in them, you don't have to pass laws to protect yourself from them. Now this teaching, interesting enough, is pertinent to us right now since we're about to elect some elders for the oversight of this church. And from the very beginning, self-control was one of the desired characteristics in the newly organized church, clear back in the first century. Here's 1 Timothy 3. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer, that's, that's our word elder. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and the list goes on. The point is, we don't want to be led by anybody who can't control himself. Now here's how the same matter is dealt with in Titus chapter 2. After calling for self-control in the elders, attention is then turned to older women who are urged to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. If they will do that, then they are in a position where they can teach younger women. So, they then can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure. And similarly, young men are to be self-controlled. So, to Titus these words, in everything set an example, set them an example by doing what is good. Now, why, why do you think self-control keeps popping up? It's because it's so hard for us to be self-controlled. We just don't exercise it. Listen to what we say. I, I can't help it. It's how I made. And so we justify ourselves. Here's the point. Scripture asks us to act better than we feel like acting. To aspire to be higher than the animals. I, I know that old game that would, you have to identify. Is it animal, mineral, or vegetable, right? All right. By those three categories, we're animals. We're not vegetables. We're not, I hope. We're not minerals. So we belong to the animal kingdom. Biologists tell us not only do we belong to the animal kingdom, but we're categorized as great apes. Not exactly flattering. 
But we're called to be more than apes. More than flesh and blood, drives and urges, lusts and longings. Note the language of the creation. Clear back in, in Genesis. Then the Lord God formed a man from the, breath, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Dust and divine breath. Animal nature and spiritual potential. That's us. So we don't say, after all, I'm only human. That's how we excuse ourselves, isn't it? When we're trying to get out of something. After all, I'm only human. What do you expect? I'm only human. You can't expect any more. Well, the truth of the matter is you're not just only human. God breathed into man the breath of life. There's more to us than blood and sinew and muscles and bones and drives and lusts. Now, even non-religious thinkers see us as more than flesh and blood. I picked this up on the Psychology Today website. This definition of self-control, I want to share it with you. Self-control separates us from our ancient ancestors and the rest of the animal kingdom thanks to our large prefrontal cortex. It's the ability to subdue our impulses in order to achieve longer-term goals. Rather than responding to immediate impulses, we can plan, we can evaluate alternative actions, and often enough, avoid doing things we'll later regret. The ability to exert self-control is typically called willpower. It's what allows us to direct our attention, and it underlies all kinds of achievement. Now, that's not scripture, but it's close. And while I was running around online, I ran across this ad for people like you and me who have a little trouble controlling ourselves. It's an ad for an app. There's now an app for self-control. <laughs> Wouldn't you know? Self-control, this is the, the, the blurb for the app. Self-control, that's the name of it, is a free and open source application for Mac operating system that lets you block your own access to distracting websites, your mail servers, or anything else on the internet. Just set a period of time to block for, add sites to your blacklist, and click start. Until the timer expires, you will be unable to access those sites even if you restart your computer or delete the application. Now, we ask the Spirit to help us with self-control. We don't even need the Spirit. We can buy an app. And all will be well. Now, I, I, probably, I probably ought to buy that app. I, there are certain things on the, on the uh, Internet I will not go to because I can't get off. Uh, YouTube is one. If, if I look up something on YouTube, they've got right on the right-hand side of the screen all these other wonderful videos. And if I'm not careful, I'm in real trouble. So I need that app. All right. Well, by now, as we come to the end of the series, you may be thoroughly discouraged. Galatians 5 sets the bar very high for us, but not impossibly high. Many, many of you can testify. If I were to call you up here and ask you 
to give a little testimony, before and after, you could do it. You could say, this is what I was like. But I'm not like that now. This is what I'm like now. Now, you, I know you well enough to know. You would say, oh, well, I'm not yet satisfied. This is not all I want to be. I would have to say the same thing. But this is what I was. I'm not. This is what I am, and I'm aspiring for more. It's, it's not impossible. When I was teaching at the seminary, I, I had some really outstanding colleagues on the faculty. And... Uh, and there was a student in the, fac- in, the, in the student body, and there must have been some uh, action or activity at the end of the school year that caused him to do this. But, but he wrote a tribute to his professor. Let me read it. He said he had been watching him for four years in graduate school. And he based what he wanted to tell that professor on Galatians 5, our passage. He entitled it, I've been watching you. I've watched you love others first and worry about the details later. I've observed you laugh deeply from your gut and share unbridled joy with others. I've witnessed your steadfast peace as storms raged around you. I've experienced your seemingly endless patience as you mentor your students. I've seen you demonstrate kindness to the stranger. I have felt your goodness as you share generously from your heart. I've encouraged your faithfulness as you've been a man of your word. I've noticed your gentleness as you offered tough truths. I've recognized your self-control when you have been wronged. The fruit of the Spirit. Against such, there is no law. 